A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Maven, concentrate on Sim. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor. And the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights were probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 430. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television, and this time we are talking about Thunderbirds at the movies. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. Yes, once a year we like to do a spin-off show where we look at one of the television shows we've covered and it's sort of move into another medium. So here we have Jerry Anderson's Thunderbirds and their three visits to the big screen. We're doing 1966, 1968 and then 2004 with Thunderbirds at the movies. International Rescue and their fabulous vehicles are back. They're bigger than ever. They're blown up on the big screen and there's quite a lot to talk about with these movies brian absolutely so starting with thunderbirds the tv series was broadcast in 1965 and 1966 32 episodes that were 50 minutes long each which was unusual they were produced by jerry and sylvia anderson and this was one of the marionette or super marionation shows with these marionette puppets that were used on scale, small-scale sets, and they had model work with all kinds of vehicles. These were the earlier design, the puppets that had larger heads, larger-than-human-scale heads. And we had the adventures of international rescue as they fly in to rescue people from a whole variety of disasters. And of course, we have covered Thunderbirds in the past. Way back in 2010, we did it on episodes 65 and 66 of British Invaders, which you won't find in your podcatcher feed now, but you can find them and all our previous episodes up on the website at britishinvaders.com. There's a search box, search for Thunderbirds, and you'll be able to listen to them then. And of course, Thunderbirds, like those other super marination shows from Jerry and Sylvia Anderson that we've covered, notable for ambitious plots, fabulous vehicles, the superb model work and the special effects. And one another name that we always mention, Derek Medins and his team supervising the creation of the models and then often blowing them up, but also doing the other special effects of the vehicles moving and so on. So lots of stuff to like about those supermarination shows. Yes, absolutely. And there is a story that Jerry Anderson had about the showing some early episodes of this new show, Thunderbirds to Lou Grade, who was one of the bosses at ITV. And Grade told him, this isn't a TV show, this is a feature film. You should make these as one-hour episodes. 
episodes. And we got these 15-minute episodes. It was the only Super Marionation show that gave us these longer episodes because of that idea of it being like a feature film, which leads us, of course, to actual feature films that ran in the cinema. So I get to say those three exciting words because the title of the first film was indeed Thunderbirds Are Go. This is from 1966, and we'll just quickly rattle through the plot. Yeah, so it's set in 2065, and the crew of the Zero X spacecraft are preparing for the first manned mission to Mars. Indeed, but an earlier launch had been sabotaged, and so International Rescue have been called in to supervise the next attempt to send this mission of men uh, to actually go and land on Mars. Yes, sabotaged by none other than the Hood, recurring villain of Thunderbirds. And when they ask for International Rescue to do security for the new launch, they agree to do it. So Xerox is going to safely reach Mars. They're going to have some misadventures on the surface of Mars in a sort of middle plot of this movie that certainly resembles what's going to happen later on television with Captain Scarlet and the Mistrons, Brian. Yes, and even Zero X does show up in Captain Scarlet and the Mistrons as well. And of course, back on Earth, we've got some international espionage, which is obviously going to be a job for Lady Penelope and Parker. So there's quite a lot of stuff going on. There's rescues, there's security duty, there's a, a mission to Mars, there's stuff happening with the Hood and Lady Penelope and Parker back on Earth. Big screen adventures. Yes, and of course things will go wrong and various Thunderbird vehicles will swoop in to do the rescues that they were famous for. Absolutely, putting the rescue into international rescue. So production notes on this one... Filming of Series 1 of Thunderbirds, they did a second series a bit later, but Series 1 completed work in 1965, and Lou Grade gave them the go-ahead to do a feature film with a £250,000 budget coming from United Artists, and this was a first for this team and for Super Marionation. And Jerry and Sylvia Anderson, not too surprisingly, were inspired by the ongoing space race and decided to make the mission to Mars the subject of the film. And they wrote a script for it while they were at their holiday home in Portugal. So they did their own writing on this one. Indeed. And now for direction, it was interesting. It was op offered to one of the main television series directors, Alan Patillo. But he thought perhaps with a certain amount of foresight, that, it, that Thunderbirds wouldn't transfer very well to the big screen. And so he passed on the project, and instead it was handed over to another director from the TV series, a young chap, only 24 at the time, David Lane, took on the reins of directing. In terms of cast, the voice actors from the TV show uh, that you know and love are return for the big screen adventures. Obviously, we're going to shout out Shane Rimmer as the voice of Scott Tracy. We always mention Shane whenever we can, Brian. Of course. But also, you're going to get, rather bizarrely, but it's the mid-1960s, so what can you, I suppose, what would you expect? Cliff Richards and his backing group, The Shadows, turn up in this movie. 
Richards apparently also had a holiday home near the Andersons in Portugal, and that's where they met. And he they he was persuaded to come on board for this big screen adventure. Yes, and I think he's playing Cliff Richards Jr. Yep. with the shadows in a nightclub scene. So they make uh, marionette puppets of this 1960s band. So that was an interesting take on things and fits with the type of things that the Andersons were doing with these sorts of things. But it was fun to have that in there. The production needed to use better quality puppets, more detailed puppets, because you could see a lot more on the big screen than you could on the small screen. So they were working with new puppets, and Derek Meddings and his team would go even further and even more ambitious things with the vehicles and the explosions. They had a bit more time and a bit more money to work on that. Absolutely. Everything needs to be bigger and better for the big screen. And of course, whenever we talk about Anderson Productions, I often get to mention yet another familiar name to us, which is Barry Gray, the composer. And he, of course, gets to re-record his distinctive Thunderbirds music, this time with a big 70-piece orchestra. So that's very impressive. He gets to do some great film music. And over the closing credits of the movie, we will actually see the real-life Royal Marines band doing a sort of marching band version of the Thunderbirds theme at the end. A memorable bit of film that you can watch on YouTube, and it's quite fun as well, seeing a marching band do the Thunderbirds theme. Yes, it did have a sense of this was the Thunderbirds team and the Anderson team getting to go all out in a way that they were not able to on TV. And they went all out for the premiere, which took place at London's Pavilion Cinema with a gala, a charity gala raising money for the children's charity Bernardo's, appropriate enough. So they really thought they had achieved you know what they wanted the big screen debut of thunderbirds and there was a lot of effort put into it obviously there was an awful lot of production work and it gets to its big premiere but unfortunately after that it doesn't go quite as well as they expect brian yeah it was sort of the height of the thunderbirds success in merchandising with the toys being very popular you know, big popular children's toys for Christmas 1966. But when it came to the box office and the actual release of the film, it was not very successful. So, sadly, Thunderbirds Argo was a bit of a flop at the box office. That is late 1966 and through into early 1967. But they tried again, Brian. They did with Thunderbirds 6, which was released in 1968. And Jerry and Sylvia Anderson believed that the poor performance had been mostly bad luck and circumstance. And they pushed ahead with doing a sequel. Yes, there's various theories about why it underperformed at the box office, which we'll get to in, a, in our next episode, Brian. Because uh, there are other people who've got different opinions as to why it didn't succeed. But we'll come back to that. Of course. Now, this time again, United Artists giving them the budget. This time the budget was raised to $300,000, giving them the green light to go ahead. We'll quickly mention the plot. This one concerns the maiden voyage of a futuristic airship, which has been designed by regular Thunderbirds character Brains. 
also brains at the same time as this sort of maiden voyage is going on he's still trying to impress jeff tracy with a design for the new thunderbird 6 vehicle that tracy has asked him for fair bit of comedy there as a variety of different uh, types of vehicles all get rejected by jeff tracy absolutely yeah absolutely indeed and of course we're all set for another explosive thunderbirds finale which actually takes place atop a set of communication masts or towers which is rather inconveniently over a missile base and well without giving away too much obviously the thunderbird six of the title is going to have to show up and save the day yes absolutely so getting into production notes on this one the andersons wrote the script taking inspiration from the r101 and the graf zeppelin various lighter than air airships of the past and once again they had david lane directing and they had most of the series regulars back in this case keith alexander took over from ray barrett as the voice of john tracy but i believe all the others were there yes i think ray barrett had moved back to australia if i remember rightly brian okay and of course at this time captain scarlet and the mistrons is in production a show that we have talked about many a time one of our favorites of the super marionations of course captain scarlet is known for having slightly more realistically proportioned puppets because the Anderson team had worked out how they could get the mechanics uh, that operated the lip-syncing technology into a smaller space. So for Thunderbird 6, they scale down the heads of the characters. They're not quite down to the Captain Scarlet proportions, but they're also not as big as they've been in Thunderbirds Are Go and on the television screen. And the other thing that this film is particularly notable for, from our point of view, is it involves a certain amount of live-action shooting, particularly of a Tiger Moth that's a biplane propeller-driven light aircraft. And I suppose the most notable sequence is when this aircraft has to fly underneath a motorway bridge And at the time, it's being piloted by Lady Penelope with a variety of characters hanging on to the plane. And this is, I'm going to say, Brian, it's one of the most notable production details from these movies, isn't it? It's a remarkable piece of footage. It really is. And they went to the, at the time, unfinished M40 motorway, which myself and several of our listeners will have driven down many a time. And they had a pilot called Joan Hughes, who's flying the plane. She's also doubling for Lady Penelope, obviously. And I love this. I I sort of like this when we talked about Honor Blackman being a sort of motorcycle delivery driver uh, or a motorcycle messenger during World War II. Joan Hughes, during World War II, used to deliver Spitfires and other military aircraft to the bases that they were needed at. So a remarkable career and a remarkable flyer. Was she with the ATA? I guess that was what it would be, wouldn't it? Yes. She must have been. Fascinating. The Ministry of Transport, when they were asking for permission to do this stunt, had insisted that the plane lands and has its wheels on the road as it goes under the bridge. But at the time, because of the crosswind and so on, Hughes made the decision to not actually make contact with the road and to fly under the bridge, which I believe was even done twice. It was. Yes. And that was something that... She explained as a situational decision that at that time it was safe to go under. It was not safe to land and go through that way. And there was actually a tribunal of some sort about that 
and it eventually sided with Joan Hughes, the pilot, and also the production manager, Norman Foster. They were found to have done the right thing on that and were not penalized for it in the end. Thank goodness. But what a story from the production and what an interesting note that they and the Sun team start to introduce much more live action footage into this film, Thunderbird 6. Yes, you do certainly see a lot more live action footage that is not of puppets or models. So we're going to interrupt this broadcast and come back to Thunderbird 6 in a while. But first of all, we're going to talk about the availability of these films. In Region 2, Thunderbirds Are Go from 1966 is on DVD and Blu-ray for about £8, packed with extra features. For some reason, bizarrely not available streaming that I can find at the moment. For the other two films, Thunderbird 6, again, it's about £8 on both disc options and is available to stream for £3.50 in SD. And the 2004 Thunderbirds movie, which we will come to in our next episode, readily available, about £4 on DVD, slightly more expensive on Blu-ray. And again, this time you can stream it on HD for 350 or thereabouts and all the dvds appear to be available to rent from cinema paradiso the rental site here in the uk so very easy to watch them apart from the slight oddity with the streaming of the first film in region one there have been dvd and blu-ray releases of all three films some of them are out of print so prices vary and you might want to look for used things but they are all floating around in various releases The Blu-ray of the two 1960s films together is over $40 on Amazon.com right now, so you might want to look at used markets for that. I believe it's out of print. I saw that Thunderbirds 6 and the 2004 Thunderbirds film, they are both available on iTunes for a $5 rental and a $15 purchase. Those are Canadian dollars. I don't have the, the American rates handy, but I was able to watch both of those as iTunes rentals. In the US, Amazon Prime has all three films for purchase. They are $13 for Thunderbirds Are Go and $15 for Thunderbirds 6 and also for the 2004 Thunderbirds. They Two of them are available for rental on Amazon Prime. $6 for the Thunderbirds Are Go, $4 for the 2004 Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds 6 is not available for rental on Amazon Prime. But as you can see, there is some availability. These things are floating around in various formats and in various places in North America. So if you look around, you should be able to to find them. Good news. You can find all three films to watch. And next time, we'll talk about whether you should. Absolutely. We're also going to wrap up our coverage of Thunderbird 6 from 1968 and talk a little bit about its release and the reception of that film. And we will also get on to the live-action Thunderbirds film from 2004. And then, of course, we're going to go and quickly review all three of these films. We've got lots of stuff to get through next time. Oh, yeah. Lots of, lots of stuff to reflect on there. 
Until then, you can find us at BritishInvaders.com, all of our old episodes available for download. You can also find us on Facebook if you search for British Invaders, and on Twitter as at BritInvadersPod. So please stop by and join in on some of the conversations. Yes, please do. The best place to drop us a comment seems to be on Facebook or on the Twitter get in touch let us know what you think about these movies absolutely and please come to the voice of geeks network where you'll find british invaders you'll find other podcasts you'll find gaming content twitch streaming lots of stuff going on at the voice of geeks which you can find at vognetwork.com come along and join in the fun yes indeed so thank you for listening and this is brian from canada signing off yes thank you very much indeed until next time Eamon in england also signing off <laughs>